Preston, I think uh, you said you were going to go first. Yeah. Yeah. Morning, everyone. We uh, met for a rare meeting, Bill, Greg, and I this uh, week, and uh, we decided that um, I would go over um, one of the positive aspects of this week that we remember uh, as believers, and, and and Greg would follow with this with the super positive. So. Um, that's the, that's the order. Instead of having the testimony first, I, we're going to have the message, and then Greg will give his testimony. So, um, this week is one of those weeks where um, I don't know about you, but uh, if you want to really enter in into the events that happened, it's just this roller coaster of high and low emotions. You know, two thousand about two thousand years ago in Jerusalem. It was a week of political maneuvering like we've never seen and clandestine meetings and a very unfair and speedy trial. Uh, not only for the people there, but for us as we remember, just a lot of emotional highs and lows as, as God just really was appointing the turning point in history at that particular time. And so um, I know for me, as I, as I try to relive those times as, as difficult as it really is because we look back from the vantage point of, of this side of history, um, it's sometimes really difficult to, to um, really enter in and experience really what was going on then because we, the, end, the end of the story up to this point. Uh, and fortunately, you know, there's more story in front of us uh, that we, we don't know, but we have to live in faith believing in that. And, so uh, I know for me this week is uh, it's a little bit hard to take it all in, uh, but I want to we're going to kind of just be replowing some of the uh, same passages that um, Roger and, and Randy have in the past. Um, so we're going to be starting in the Book of John. The, the Book of John is an interesting book because over half the book is about um, just the last week of Jesus' life. And so uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna start at an extremely uh, familiar scripture, but if I could just try to capture uh, Randy and, and Roger's uh, messages with, with maybe just a short phrase, if uh, um, not that the message is brief, but it certainly captures it for me. Randy really spoke about um, Jesus, the light of the world, and, and Roger, Jesus, the bread of life. And so uh, obviously there was a lot more to it than that, but uh, I tend to remember things in short snippets like that. So we're going to start with a verse that everybody knows, which is John 3, 16. Um, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish that have eternal life. I don't know that there's another verse in the Bible that is more uh, well-known than this particular one. Uh, and yet we hear it so much and we've memorized it and repeated it so many times and it's become so familiar that um, we really sometimes we stop to let it sink in deeply, uh, which you know we need to do again and again. Um, but I, I really um, 
think about this particular verse and how the entire history of the world turns on Jesus' time here, and that there was yet there was much that came before this and after this. And you know, when when I look at this verse, I think to myself, who starts a sentence with four? It's just the coming out of the gate. Um, thought you know four is not one of those words that you you start a sentence with and so there's got to be some thought process that that brings you to this particular place of then make this statement and that's what we're going to do we're going to kind of back up and look at um the, the verses before that and then the verses that come after that um it's a connector word you know it's it's to connect an intended purpose or a goal. Uh, you can almost use it as the word because, because uh, there's, a, there's a thought that's given and then this connector word connects it to the next thought. And so we're gonna look at this, um, this same passage that Randy did, the story of Nicodemus uh, uh, briefly as a kind of a launching point, a place to, to start from. And so it's John chapter three for those of you that I don't know exactly where it is in, in the Bible, John 3, and we're going to be um, talking about this night encounter um, with Jesus and all the things that uh, Jesus spoke to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, you know, for those of you that know the story well, he, he finally says, well, how can these things be? And Jesus talks about being born a second time. And, and Jesus makes this response. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up his serpent, the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. So here a Pharisee comes to Jesus by night trying to understand who this man is and what he's about. And in the course of this conversation, Nicodemus clearly doesn't understand what Jesus is driving at. And so Jesus then draws this parallel to an event in Israel's history some 1400 years earlier as a key for Nicodemus to understand what Jesus was trying to show him. Um, and that's in verse 14. I just read it. It says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? It just, he continues, so that whoever believes in him will in him believe and have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then there's another thought after that, beginning with four. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, that the, that the world might be saved through him. So for some reason, Jesus picks this event in the Old Testament about the, the bronze serpent. So we're going to go back and look at that. If you want to turn in your Bibles, uh, it's Numbers chapter 21. Um, and we're going to read this because Jesus kind of refers to this as a key for un, 
for Nicodemus trying to understand who this Jesus is and what in the world he's about. And so we're going to begin in Numbers 21 and verse 4. It says, Then they, which is speaking about the Israelites, then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. If you remember, the, the king of Edom, uh, Moses asked permission to pass through his land and not bother anything, to not take any of his water, not any of his foods, and no, you're not coming through. And so the people are now having to go around this land. So continuing in verse five, so the people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness? But there is no food and no water, and we are disgusted with this miserable food. This was the manna, or bread, if you will. Um, the scripture then continues. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Intercede with the Lord that he will remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and put it on a standard. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten and looks at it will live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and he put it on a standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit someone and he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. The interesting scripture, interesting story. Um, it, it may be good before we start connecting Jesus' words to this to remember that more than once the people had complained and grumbled and just weren't satisfied with God's provision. Every time this occurred made God angry. Moses interceded on their behalf. After this particular severe judgment, if you continue to read the rest of the chapter, there's no mention of discontent with the rest of their journey from their own or for their, from their provisions that they had until they were camped in Moab and getting ready to enter the promised land. Um, there they committed sin with the Midianite women as counseled by Balaam to, to Balak. But up from that point on until then, we have no we have no recorded instances of their being grumbling and complaining again. So why would Moses, why would God tell Moses to fashion an Im image of the very thing that caused people to die? and to have them to look at it. You know, it's, to me, it's illogical that you would look at the very things sent as judgment to bite you, to poison you, and to kill you. To look at that, to be healed, it doesn't make any sense at all. You have venom running through your veins, and you're to look at the instrument, put, put it there, to be healed. Well, it's even more illogical to think that looking at a bondage really heal anyone from a snake bite. But that's exactly what God told Moses to do and, he, and told the people to do. 
So why would you look at a reminder? And maybe that's just it. It's to remind you of your sin, of your rebellion, of your complaining. Uh, so it really took an act of faith in and obedience to God to be healed. So what are some things that we can learn from this encounter? And what are some of the things you think that Jesus might be trying to get Nicodemus to grasp hold of? Well, the first thing we know is that complaining and grumbling about the Lord's provision, the people were disgusted with this miserable thing. It dishonors God and it doesn't bring him to life. When he provides something, the, the God who does only good things, and people aren't happy with it, it certainly doesn't delight the Lord. Um, complaining and grumbling about the Lord's direction or timing, if you would, his providence, the people became impatient with the journey, doesn't delight him either. And we can, can translate these things into our own life or into the continued life of man's um, reaction and response to God today. You know, God in his mercy will bring one to a place or a circumstance where they can realize their sin and their need for a mediator. Remember, the people realized that they had sinned, and they also realized they needed an inter intercessor. In this particular instance, it was Moses, someone really rightly related to God. We also learned that healing came through belief and obedience. The people were to look at the heart serpent. All you needed to do was look at the serpent and you would be healed. You know, it's interesting because it's like, okay, this is what we do. We look at the serpent. Okay, this is what we do. We say these words. Um, and so there's, there's other lessons that can be learned if you continue to read about the history of the serpent, which many of you are already familiar with, but you know, the people did get healed when they looked at serpent. And so this particular standard of the serpent, or bronze serpent or was kept for many years, but many years later, it also became an idol. And so uh, one of the kings destroyed that because of that. And so it shows us how easy it is to take the things of God and twist them into idolatry. Uh, we're not to lift up or hold up or worship the tools or the people necessarily that God chooses to use, but to bring honor and glory to him alone. Um, you know, as I was reading this particular pa passage, I, I wonder why they give the type of metal. Why was it made out of bronze? Um, and as I began to look at this, it seemed to me uh, from reading some commentaries that bronze tended to signify God's judgment on sin. Um, if you look at the descriptions which Roger's been going through on the tabernacle, um, there's a clear divide in the tabernacle. Gold on the inside, bronze on the outside. Uh, there was a bronze altar and the bronze sea and the bronze snake. Uh, all these things really are, are, are a place that really indicates God's willingness to take our sin and gracious to deal with it himself. Um, now, let's just go back to John 3, this same verse, in verse 14. Um, kind of read it again, and probably read it four or five more times, but uh, it's important that we get the, a hold of this, that 
lift up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You know, just as the Israelites rebelled against God's provision and his path, so all of mankind has as well, even to today, and the result for that rebellion is death. Each of us must come to a place of realizing, just as the Israelites did, that we have sinned against God and we need an intercessor and that forgiveness comes when we look by faith at the one lifted up for our sake. Even this really totally illogical, if you think about it, you can look to one who's become sin on our behalf, believe in that and be forgiven and reconciled to God. Now, we think we have to bring something of worth in and of ourselves, something that's worth saving because of who we are rather than who fashioned us and to whom, you know, we are ultimately accountable. You know, um, it's interesting to me that um, why is, and how is Jesus, he makes this likeness, but if you read in 2 Corinthians uh, verse 521, it says this, it says, he, speaking of God, made him, speaking of Jesus, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Jesus. It is, as we've heard so many times, in him, it's in his righteousness that we have peace with God. He became sin, so that we might be given his righteousness. So the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes will have eternal life in him. I just continue to follow on with this thought process, uh, kind of getting back into Roger's message. If you want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6, the same chapter that the uh, Roger was ending his message up on last week. Um, here we can, to me, and I reread this over the week. It's, I, I, I observed this shadow of the same mistake the Israelites made in the desert. Um, and so uh, let's read together. Uh, the passage we're going to start in is John 6, 26. Um, but what happened before this is Jesus has just fed 5,000 people. And then he gets in a boat and crosses over a lake. And now the people have followed him across the lake. And Jesus begins in verse 26 with this. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you do not seek me because you saw signs, but because you ate some of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which is the Son of Man will, get, will give you. For on him, the Father, God, has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, what are we to do so that we may accomplish the works of God? Jesus answered and said to him, said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him, he has sent. So they said to him, 
what then are you doing as a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work are you performing? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who is giving you the bread out of heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. You know, if you would skip, I'm going to skip this next section and just go down to verse 41, because that's kind of a backdrop to me to this particular verse uh, and how it relates to the story of the bronze serpent. So then the Jews were complaining about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down out of heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, stop complaining among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. You know, uh, if I can relate back to Roger's message last week, he pointed out, this, the, this very detailed description of the, of the table in the tabernacle, uh, all its trim, its height, its measurements. And, you know, he made this comment. He said, the table was significantly only because what it held was significance. The real focus was the bread of presence, which was a foreshadowing of Jesus and that communion through and with him Jesus then relates the events of the manna which came down from heaven from God's hand, a shadow of the fulfillment to come. His being the true bread of provision for, for sustaining life. The manna in, in uh, the desert gave them life until the next day. But Jesus is saying he gives life eternal day after day, even through eternity. It's interesting to me that at this time, the people here in John, their response is even more of an affront than the Israelites in the desert. Not only have they not even partaken of it so as to become tired of it, but they refuse to even consider this offer and begin complaining about it. And you know, so it is today as I, as I think about the state that, that we are still in today in a simple uh, way. Man complains that Jesus puts forth himself as the only way. It's as the invitation of the Old Testament still remains. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So man today complains that there's only one way, one flavor of bread, if you will, and tries everything but the true bread God has provided in Christ. <laughs> When one considers God in his holiness and majesty and man in his broken sinful state and lack of gratitude, I have to recall, as R.C. Sproul once said, it's a wonder of grace that God has provided a way to be saved and to be at peace with God.
So, you know, in this simple phrase to Nicodemus, Jesus recalls this way of entering the kingdom of God. Saving faith realizes the guilt of one's sin and the justice of God to punish that sin. That's what number 217 says. We have sinned. You realize your guilt. You also realize the need for an intercessor between the guilty sinner and God. Numbers 21b, intercede with the Lord. That's what they asked Moses to do. And it also realizes that you can only look to God alone to provide the necessary remedy. The illogical thing of looking to the serpent on the pole, Numbers 21, 8 and 9. But so likewise for us today, we look to Jesus to be that propitiation, that substitute for sin's punishment. We look to him as the mediator, the intercessor. Hey, and, we, and we also look to uh, him as the door and the path to both see and enter the kingdom of God and eternal life. You know, I just want to kind of repeat this briefly because it takes, at least for me, it takes deep meditation on these things to really uh, continue to keep a spirit of gratitude and wonder at, at God's grace uh, and his love for a people that he has called to himself. Moses fashioned a serpent. It was a reminder to the people of why they were judged for their rebellion and speaking against God. And that judgment was the venom within their vein that kills unless dealt with in some miraculous way. You know, it says, Jesus said this, even so must, it says must because there's no other way. Jesus must be lifted up. He tells us to remember the cross, to look to him, to look to his sacrifice as a reminder of the judgment placed on him because of our sinful nature, which unless dealt with in some miraculous way will bring sure and eternal death. You know, I want to I want to make a couple more comments and then I'm going to turn this over to Greg. But if we just continue to look forward in, in the book of John to the 12th chapter of John, verse 32, this is what it says. John 12, 32. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now, he indicated now, he was saying this to indicate the kind of death he was going to die. You know, we, we said this earlier in John 6, 44. It says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So there's this mysterious tension that, that exists between um, our seeking and our responding in his calling and his drawing. You know, I had um, a huge paradigm shift about this matter a number of years back. And, you know, I was really feeling pretty good about my connectedness with the Lord, my spiritual insight, how well I was growing, uh, you know, in, in, this, uh, in this spiritual walk they, they were having. And I remember at the end of uh, one of my quiet times one morning, it was this it was just this really gentle impression that uh, came, it just kind of arose in my mind, in my heart. It, 
it was not like a blazing thing, like a sun, you know, revelation, but it was more like the moon. It was more like this uh, sublime or gentle, soft illumination. Ever so quietly, I heard this, no, I'm drawing you. <laughs> you know, as I thought about that, how humbling it was and how inspiring it was all at the same time. You know, the Lord doesn't call in us once and we respond and he says, okay, I called you, come on, find your way here. He continually draws and calls us. It was a real paradigm shift for me to realize which is more glorious, which is more humbling, and which is more a wonder, my seeking or being drawn to the great God. <laughs> or which is, which, is, which is more humbling and more inspiring, that the majesty on high is calling me or mostly inattentive me is responding. I, I encourage you to take courage. God is calling you. The great I am is drawing you. So let that truth move you. It's only because Jesus willingly was lifted up that God can draw you and I all the way into his presence. Well, as the old hymn goes, look to Jesus and be made whole. Look to Jesus for the cleansing of your soul. Let's pray. Father, it is a wonder as you watched generation and generation and generation of people rebel against your loving provision you have provided a way and oh lord what a way what a hard way you have made through christ lord how can we ever comprehend all that he walked through just to be among us all those years sinless among the sinful people just to endure what he endured in gethsemane in facing what you called him to face and to endure the humility of the cross. All, Father, in faith that you would glorify him in the end. And so we look to you, Father, with grateful hearts. Thank you. Thank you, Father, that it was a must that he be lifted up and that it was willing to be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Preston. Mm -hmm.